Now then, what had been nice? We'll start with raspberry ice and then some cakes and tea. You brought your references, I presume. May I see them? Oh, I make it a point never to give references. A very old-fashioned idea to my mind. Is that so? We'll have to see about that then, won't we? Now then. In a most delightful way. Super... 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 Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Yes, well done, you said it. The biggest word you've ever heard, and this is how it goes. Oh, supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Why do you always complicate things that are really quite simple? Give me your hand, please, Michael. Don't slouch. One, two... W... And welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 127 for the week of July 12th, 2009. Thank you for tuning in once again. It is a rare occasion when one has the opportunity to speak with someone who is a true legend of stage, screen, and film. And this week... I have the honor of being able to share such a conversation with you. With a career that has spanned decades in which she has shared so many of her incredible talents, she will for many people always be known as the title character in what can only be described as a true masterpiece of filmmaking, Mary Poppins. A character and a film that are both practically perfect in every way. Dame Julie Andrews joins me in a one-on-one conversation as we talk about her role as Mary Poppins, how it came to be, working with Walt Disney and the Sherman Brothers, and so much more, including what's ahead for this incredible actress, singer, author, and philanthropist. I'll end the show with an announcement about something coming up for the WDW Radio Show and its listeners, so sit back Relax and enjoy this very special episode of the WDW Radio Show. Wanted a nanny for two adorable children. If you want this choice position, have a cheery disposition. Rosy cheeks. That's the part I put in. Play games, all sorts. So, it's the person. She's answered our advertisement. Rosy cheeks and everything. Item one, a cheery disposition. I am never cross. Item two, rosy cheeks. Obviously. Mary Poppins, is that your name? It's lovely. Thank you. I've always liked it. Spitzbot! In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. You find the fun and snap! The job's a game. Mary Poppins, you look beautiful. Do you really think so? Cross my heart, you do. Like the day I met you.
How does one introduce an individual who truly needs no introduction? For millions of families spanning multiple generations, my next guest has brought joy to their lives on stage and screen by sharing her remarkable gift of song. Her storied career has rewarded her with a Tony, Emmy, Golden Globe, and of course, Academy Award for her iconic role as the nanny who is truly practically perfect in every way. Mary Poppins is more than a timeless classic, as for many, its significance goes much deeper, thanks in large part to the title character brought to life by my next guest. It is my true honor to have the opportunity to speak today with Dame Julie Andrews. Ms. Andrews, welcome to the WDW Radio Show. Thank you. Very nice to speak to you, Lou. As well. And before we get started, there's so much I want to talk to you about. It's so hard to find a place to begin, but I have to say at the outset that I mean it so sincerely when I say what a privilege it is to speak to you because of what the characters you have brought to life mean to me and because of the happiness that you have brought me and my family by sharing your gift. That's very kind of you. Thank you so much. They've also given me a great deal of pleasure, as you can imagine. I'm sure. And, And your career began at such an early age. You know, your first stage performance is at age two, and over time you, you've delighted audience with legendary <laughs> performance. I mean, stage and television, and of course in film, and certainly one of your most important roles was your very first movie role, and that was with Mary Poppins. Courtesy of, um, courtesy of uh, Mr. Disney, who, who uh, I owe a great deal to. I'm sure. And as we celebrate the 45th anniversary this year, can you tell us how it came to be that you were cast in that part? Well, um, I, as far as I understand it, um, uh, I, was, I was playing in uh, a show on Broadway called Camelot, and uh, Mr. it was recommended to Mr. Disney that he come and see me in the show because he was looking for a Mary Poppins. And uh, the first I heard of it was that... Uh, Mr. Disney was in the audience and requested to uh, come backstage to visit. Um, I assumed he was just coming backstage to, um, uh, as a courtesy, or and I was very flattered. But in fact, when he came backstage, he uh, had loved the show, obviously seemingly had made up his mind about me, and asked if I would be interested in coming to Hollywood to listen to the songs and see the drawings and uh, really the uh, the general feel of Mary Poppins, would I be interested? And uh, <laughs> I remember saying to him, oh, Mr. Disney, uh, how very, very kind, but I'm expecting a baby uh, in about six months. And he very kindly said, that's okay, we'll wait. And he did. <laughs> So um, uh, eventually, of course, uh, I went out to Hollywood, and uh, the rest uh, you know. Right, and clearly a testament to how much Walt knew that you were right for the part, and and everybody really did, because the Sherman brothers had watched you, and Don DeGrotti, and they all sort of agreed before even meeting you that you were the person to be Mary Poppins. Well, it was a wonderful, tremendous break in my life, as you can imagine. It was a major stepping stone and of course I'd never made a film before and um, so I came out to Hollywood very green but in the very good hands of Disney who looked after me and guided me and spoiled me and uh, I couldn't have been luckier. And in addition to coming out to California and meeting the Sherman brothers and everyone else 
you also have a chance to travel to London and meet the author of the Mary Poppins books, yes, Pamela uh, Travers. Pamela Travers. <laughs> yes, she was quite a character. Um, she, uh, she was, um, she sort of was uh, Mary Poppins, but perhaps a little bit even more strict and a little bit more quirky and unusual. She was quite uh, individual, but 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 very dear and. Um, I had tea with her, and while we were making the movie uh, in um, California, occasionally we would correspond, and I would tell her how things were going. And she was understandably quite nervous about it, you know. Certainly, and she was very, very involved from the very beginning, from the 20 oh, years. Wanted to, be, <laughs> wanted to be, until I think Walt said, listen, you have to trust us, and, uh, you know, I think she, she thought that she had to be, but in fact, uh, Walt very nicely put her in that place, I think. <laughs> well, after 20 years of trying to get the rights and, and convincing her, as I'm sure he was able to do, it's clear that she had that trust in him. Uh, well, eventually she certainly did. And uh, I'm sure that uh, uh, she said to me once, she said, you're, you're far too pretty, but you've got the nose for the, for the, for the character. <laughs> Well, let's and let's talk about Mary Poppins, the character herself. She's somewhat different than the character in the books, uh, very still very strong. But what do you think makes her so special and so timeless? And how much, if any, influence did you have on her portrayal in the film? Oh, gosh. Um, I think that the the influence, the longevity of Mary Poppins is probably to do with the feeling of safety that she brings for children. Uh, her, um, her, her world and the things she does in the world are, are all fun. And even though she's very strict, uh, there are boundaries and, and children can, uh, can feel safe while enjoying all the adventures and so on. Um, uh, she's just got such a spark of mischief and fun. And I, uh, the character that I was helped to find her character by my first husband, Tony Walton. Uh, he was the designer on the film, again, thanks to Mr. Disney's discerning good eye. And Tony did all the costumes and most of the sets for the movie. Um, he, when he was designing the costumes, he showed me and indicated that uh, although Mary Poppins had very formal clothes, if you saw a flash of petticoat or something like that, it was quite often uh, a beautiful bright orange or pink. Or, and so he said, I think she's got a kind of hidden secret inner life. And uh, he said, I think she's much more, um, uh, she's much more of a kick-up-her-heels gal than uh, anybody would know. But that's only for her to know and no one else to find out. So I sort of thought, well, that's a very nice... Um, thing to know while portraying the character, that she's actually got a kind of um, little extra spark that not too many people know about. Very interesting. And certainly, much of the success is based... I'm sure. I mean, it, well, I don't know whether it was in the book or not, but it certainly <laughs> seemed to help for the movie. <laughs> and the the chemistry that, I mean, it's it's so clear on screen with the other characters and certainly with, with Dick Van Dyke was oh, so spot on. So adorable and such a lovely man, and uh, we really we've stayed great, great friends, and it was such a joy to work with him. 
I could imagine. And again, you know, we get so much from Mary Poppins, some of the characteristics that you talk about. But the film, I think, is still relevant and important because there's so many lessons to be learned from it, um, from a character that has all the right answers all the time. <laughs> yes, she does. <laughs> yes, she does. But it was a great deal of hard work and a, and a phenomenal um, lesson for me in the, the art of, uh, of making a movie because there were so many special effects and so much waiting around and, and um, you know, uh, movie making is, is, is holding yourself ready for that one moment when everything connects and makes sense on camera. But the, in the case of all the special effects, there was a great deal of, of patience required because they were the things that had to be made to work, especially when we um, merged with the animated sequences. I'm sure and a lot of a lot of choreography too. I, I'm I'm sure that there are, are countless times during the production uh, that just incredible memories were made. But is there any sort of one moment during the filming that really stays with you, or something that was profound or, or funny, or just something that's very very memorable for you? Lots of memories. I mean, lots of them. Um, uh, the we we rehearsed on the back lot at Disney under big tarpaulins, but it was like um, September, I think, and uh, baking hot, and I mean baking hot, and the idea was to kind of um, toughen up all the dancers in the heat and and, uh, get us outside so we didn't swelter, and uh, it was, um, having just had a baby, for me, it was like getting back into shape in rapid time, you know? (laughs) Um, uh, that was one memory. It was mostly of the heat, which, which I'd never experienced since I'm an English gal, and it mostly rains in England. Um, the other memories were uh, loving and funny, working with the children. Um, uh, on the last day of um, the shoot, I was uh, up, and they saved all the uh, special difficult effects uh, until the last week of the movie for me uh, in case of an accident in which case most of the film was in the can as you could. and uh, so um, uh, I was hanging up in the uh, uh, ceiling of this huge soundstage and uh, I'd been sort of waiting around up there for the cameras to roll and I was in an excruciating flying harness and I remember I think it was my very last day, and I, I suddenly felt the wires that were supporting me uh, give by about a foot. And I thought, oh, I must be uh, imagining this. But I, I suddenly became very frightened that maybe my good fortune was running out and uh, maybe something was going to happen. So I called down and asked if they would be very, very careful letting me down when I did come down. And uh, so eventually but the word was passed back along the studio. You know, when she comes down, be sure to let her down easy. And, of course, at that point, I dropped straight to the soundstage. And I had counterbalancing equipment, which saved my knees. But I did land extremely uh, hard. And uh, there was this awful silence <laughs> from everybody for a while. But uh, luckily, uh, nothing happened. And while the film itself is certainly remarkable for its story, the Richard and Robert Sherman music is nothing short of a masterpiece. I know. They they got it right, absolutely. And it had 
a kind of vaudeville quality which resonated with me because vaudeville was my early training and background. And so when they first played the music for me, it was so easy to say, I really relate to this. I really get that lovely kind of uh, um, rum-ti-tum sound that they make. And songs like Jolly Holiday or Supercalifragilistic, uh, they're all such fun and um, are, are a joy, you know, were a joy to do. I actually had the, the pleasure of, of interviewing Richard Sherman, and we spoke about how Feed the Birds was Walt's favorite song. Yes, I heard that, too. Did you ever get to perform it for him other than while filming? No, um, not, not at all. Um, uh, I don't know why, but um, uh, I guess he just loved to run the piece of the movie or listen to the recording. Did... Um Walt, obviously, so very much a hands-on person. Did he come to soundstage too often? Um, to... Uh, yes, but not not that often. I mean, I, I, having said that, I know that he knew every single detail of what was going on because that was Walt. He was uh, meticulous that way. But he did trust uh, his director, and he didn't intimidate in any way. And if he did come down, it was an event. And, uh, of course, he was involved in some of the publicity, uh, pre-publicity and post-publicity for the film. So it was a nice day when uh, tea was set up for us both as a, as a photo shoot. And he and I sat and really had tea and chatted and uh, the photographer shot away and it was very nice. Did you or, or maybe anybody else on the set, did you realize that you were working on something that was going to be so special no, uh, I certainly didn't. I mean, I was such a rank um, uh, uh, amateur in terms of making movies. I was learning on my feet as fast as I could. And um, films are made in such tiny increments, you know, tiny pieces of a jigsaw that get put together later. And so much of the film was completed after I had finished my part because of all the animation that had to be done. So it was quite a long while before I saw it put all together and uh, but throughout it all I have to say that the Disney studios could not have been more kind more loving more nurturing to me and I, I really owe them a great deal of thanks for, for, for how they showed me how to make a movie how to uh, how to have a wonderful time while doing it and meeting all these glorious people do you remember how you felt when you first watched the completed film? You know, that's a good question, and I, I must have watched it in a um, in a in a room where you know they were just sort of previewing it or something. Um, I think the the thing that I looked for, uh, yes, I felt a great joy now that I remember it. But the thing that I looked for was did the very first take I ever took on the film, which was in the Jolly Holiday sequence, did it look like I knew what I was doing? <laughs> and to my surprise, it did. So <laughs> I was all right after that. Well, certainly for Mary Poppins, you win an incredibly well-deserved Oscar, and I'm sure you remember what that moment must have been like. I do. I didn't expect it. It was a complete surprise. Um, uh, there was a, another wonderful film 
that uh, Anne Bancroft and Peter Finch were in that year that was nominated called The Pumpkin Eater. And I was convinced that she was going to get the uh, Oscar for that. And so when they mentioned my name, it was really a complete surprise. Now, Mary Poppins is released just a couple of years before Walt's untimely passing. I know. He died very shortly, much too shortly afterwards. How did his death affect you personally? Well, just the enormous loss, uh, the, the weight of, of uh, his personality was suddenly gone. I mean, he's still a benevolent and wonderful uh, presence in the studios, but, but just not to sort of uh, see him in the commissary, just not to see him coming down the animate, animation building steps to, uh, to not have him in our lives, uh, it, it felt very strange and very sad. You know, Mary Poppins, it's still regarded as one of the very few true masterpieces of filmmaking. What is it about it that makes it so? And and why does the film continue to stand the test of time for so many generations of families? I think it's the perfect movie for for families in general, for parents and children. They're both going to get something good out of it. It's not just a a movie for children or just a movie for adults. It, you can really, the grandparents can go, parents can go, the children can go, everyone can have a great time. And it was the pioneer. It was the one that said you can combine live action and animation and make a musical out of it. And uh, it, it, it was an amazing vision that Walt had for it and uh, such a clever idea. And at the time, it was so totally original. Yeah, and I think it's just a wonderfully joyous film. It's about all the good things and uh, and gives one great pleasure to watch it, of course. Absolutely. And I can't believe it's been 45 years. Disney released a commemorative DVD edition with, with really wonderful bonus features. And to see you and Dick Van Dyke and Richard Sherman around yeah. the piano singing is priceless. But there, there's I so... You, I can't believe it's been this long either. I mean, it, it seems like yesterday. I could imagine. But there's so there's so much more ahead for Julie Andrews, too. And, and I want to start off by talking about an opportunity that people are going to have to meet you in person at an yes, in-park indeed. signing in Disneyland. Right. Um, I will be coming out to uh, Disneyland, which I really look forward to, on um, August the 29th. And uh, copies of my latest child, uh, b- 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 book will be um, pre-sold at the event, and I'll be... Um, signing special commemorative um, illustrated uh, uh, one illustrated image from Mary Poppins and um, I will be hosting that afternoon too. I will certainly put more information about it on the website. Um, You've got many more things coming forward in 2010. You've got the Tooth Fairy. You have Shrek Comes Forth. You've got Despicable (laughs) Me. Uh, So, so much more to delight new generations of Julie Andrews fans. And again, please indulge me just for a second as I sort of step out of the role of interviewer and that of admirer. And I have to thank you for your body of work, um, including and especially your role as Mary Poppins. It had a profound impact on me as a child and again as a parent. And I'm grateful to be able to share something that's meant so much to me with my kids. And it's such an honor and such a privilege to be able to say thank you to you personally. Well, you're very kind. Thank you so much, Lou, and it's been a great pleasure talking to you. 
you too as well. Thank you so, so very much. You're welcome. Sometimes a person we love, through no fault of his own, can't see past the end of his nose. Past the end of his nose? Yes. Sometimes a little thing can be quite important. Oh, look. The cathedral. Father passes that every day. He sees that. Early each day to the steps of St. Paul's, the little old bird woman comes. In her own special way to the people she calls, come by my bags full of crumbs. Part of Mary Poppins, we had uh... Of Mary Martin, and we're thinking of Betty Davis, and then we were also thinking of Angela Lansbury. But uh, it wasn't until one evening when the Ed Sullivan Show had an excerpt from Camelot, and a young woman named Julie Andrews and Richard Burton sang What Do the Simple Folk Do? And I called my brother. I said, Bob, oh my God, she's absolutely perfect. Next day we walked into DeGrati's office and Don DeGrati says, did you see the Ed Sullivan show last night? I mean, it was just wow. So we walked down the hall, the three of us, to, we want to see Walt. How did you pick Julie for the part? Well, uh, I went uh, to New York and I caught the performance of Camelot. And then I went backstage and I tried to convince her I was uh, capable of making a picture with uh, live actors as well as cartoons. I didn't know what she thought of me and everything. Julie Andrews I have so many thank yous. I only know where to start and that was Mr. Walt Disney and naturally he has the largest thank you of all. I wouldn't know where to stop. Oh, it's a jolly holiday with you, Bert. Gentlemen like you are few. A vanishing breed, that's me. Though you're just a diamond in the rough bird. Underneath your blood is blue. Common knowledge. It's supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Even though the sound of it is something quite atrocious. If you say it loud enough, you'll always sound precocious. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. <laughs> that Poppins woman, she did it. I know the very person you mean, Mary Poppins. She's the one what sings, a spoonful of sugar, that is all it takes. It changes bread and water into tea and cakes. See, that's exactly what I mean. Changing bread and water into tea and cakes, indeed. No wonder everything's higgledy-piggledy here. Mary Poppins. What is the meaning of this outrage? I beg your pardon? Will you be good enough to explain all this? First of all, I would like to make one thing quite clear. Yes. I never explain anything. The honeybees that fetch the nectar from the flowers to the comb Never tire of ever buzzing to and fro Because they take a little nip from every flower that they sip And hence, and hence they find, they find, their task is not a As I expected, 
Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. As you may know, one of the things I enjoy most about doing this show is having the opportunity to meet listeners whenever and wherever I can. And in addition to trying to get to as many events as I possibly can, I've also been doing my Meets of the Month in Walt Disney World and have really enjoyed being able to get together and in the process make so many new friends along the way. But I've been thinking for some time now, and many of you have actually asked, uh, especially during some of the WDW Radio Live broadcasts, about doing something else. And while trying to find out just what I wanted to do, I knew that I wanted to do something that was going to be special for all of us. So the subject of hosting a cruise on the Disney Cruise Line has come up many, many times and is something I've wanted to do again for a while now. But you're saying, okay, I just said that I wanted it to be something special. So what I'm looking to do is to host a WDW Radio cruise on the brand new Disney Dream in 2011. And while Disney has not released any information about sailing dates, group bookings, price, etc., in a perfect world, I'd love for us all to get on her maiden voyage. Now, I should probably know... While very similar to the magic and the wonder, the dream is going to be much larger. The ship's going to have two additional decks and a total of 1,250 staterooms. I know a lot of us are very, very excited to see the new ship when it comes out. And there's so much to do for families and for kids and adults. And you know, there's always going to be a few surprises in store as well. Now, because no details or booking information has been released by Disney, what I need to do now is determine how much interest in this type of cruise there may be. Of course, there is no obligation whatsoever, not looking for any type of deposit or actual commitment. We just need to see how many possible cabins and people we might be looking at for a cruise on the Disney Dream. I know this is early, 2011 sounds like a long way away, but because of the new ship and because of this type of cruise and because the early departures are gonna book up very, very, very quickly, If we have an idea of what we may need, that might be extremely helpful in securing some group space or whatever it is that we might need to get this group together. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to post in the forums at www.radio.com and on Facebook. I'm going to create an event page there, and I'm going to ask that you RSVP, just sort of gauge your interest there, uh, as well as also ask you to tell me what you might be interested in cabin-wise, an inside, an ocean view, or possible balcony cabin. Now, as I said, it would be great to get on the ship's inaugural cruise, but again, we have no details as to when that would might be, if group space is going to be available, etc. So, depending on when that is, it also may conflict with kids' school schedules, etc. So, what I'm going to do, too, is I'm also going to put up a poll on the forums And I'm going to ask you to rank in order your preference as to when you would like to go, because we want to obviously get as many people as possible uh, on the ship. So we're going to look at maybe trying to see first for an inaugural cruise or first available sailing. Second option might be January or February 2011, very early in the year. Another option might be fall 2011, when the prices might be a little bit lower. Again, don't know yet. It's very, very early to, to tell. And the fourth option might be 
between June and August, again, because that's when schools are on the break. Uh, the cost may be higher if, if, if traditional trends carry forward. But again, if you want to bring your kids along, that might be an option. So I'll sort of ask you to rank those in order of preference, and we'll try and gauge the general interest. So like I said, no details are out from Disney yet. No pricing is out there, so I can't really speak in specifics. Uh, and it does seem like it's a long way away, but I want to give you enough time to schedule and save and plan and it gives us enough time to get ready for whenever Disney releases the information. So I am very, very excited about the possibility of cruising on the Disney Cruise Line's newest ship, the Disney Dream, with as many of you as possible. I know we will have a great time. So again, I'm going to ask you to come by the forums and or Facebook. And if you have any questions, you can post there. I'll be sure and keep an eye on those. Respond to them quickly. So thanks very much. Hope to see you on board. That's going to do it for this week's show. My sincerest gratitude to Dame Julie Andrews for joining me on the show this week. I will post information in the show notes at wdwradio.com about her upcoming Disneyland appearance, as well as the 45th anniversary DVD of Mary Poppins and more. Also on the site this week, look for more new videos, including characters in flight in downtown Disney and more. You can find all of my videos on the site in iTunes or on YouTube, and if you subscribe to the show through iTunes, they'll automatically be downloaded as they are released. Also visit the site at wdwradio.com for more information about my upcoming Meets of the Month in Walt Disney World. The next meet is going to be Saturday, July 25th at Disney's Boardwalk in front of Seashore Suites, so no theme park admission is required. We'll be meeting around 6.30 p.m., spend some time on the boardwalk, possibly head over to Epcot to watch Illuminations at 9. Afterwards, we'll see about maybe going to Jelly Rolls, Beaches and Cream, Yeehaw Bob, whatever everybody feels like doing. And following month is going to be Saturday, August 29th. That's going to be the WDW Radio Day at a Disney Water Park. And I'm looking to gauge interest from people as to who might want to join us, possibly for a day at either Typhoon Lagoon or Blizzard Beach, maybe have some lunch. We're trying to secure both group discount tickets and possibly some group space. So if you're interested in coming to the August meet or even July, no RSVP is required, but it would be great if you came on over and posted over on the event page on Facebook or in the forums at wdwradio.com, and I'll put links to the show notes to both of those spots. Also, while you're on the WDW Radio website, don't forget there you can order signed copies of my Walt Disney World trivia books, my audio guides to Walt Disney World, and the new WDW Radio Navy t-shirt, which is available in the shop. There you'll also find a link to order or subscribe to Celebrations Magazine. Don't forget that if you have any questions that you want answered on the show, email me at lou at wdwradio.com. Or if you want to be heard on the air, you can call the toll-free voicemail line at 888-703-2171. If you aren't following me on Twitter, head on over to twitter.com. Sign up for a free account. You can follow my updates at twitter.com slash I post updates throughout the day, play a variety of games, 
upload pictures in the parks, sound clips, and so, so much more. It's fun and it's free. Again, that's twitter.com slash Lumangelo. And if you're on Facebook, come over, friend me up on Facebook, and be sure and join the WDW Radio Show fan page. Again, links to all these right on the homepage of wdwradio.com. Thanks, as always, to my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel. And my big thanks go out to you for taking the time and listening each and every week. Remember, if you like the show, all I ask is that you please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Review the show on iTunes. Come say hi on Facebook and join the WDW Radio Show fan page or forums at WDWRadio.com. And once again, thank you to Dame Julie Andrews for joining me on this very, very special episode of the WDW Radio Show. And thanks to you for taking the time and tuning in and being so supportive each and every week. So until next time, remember, always keep moving forward, follow your dreams, and have a great week, everybody. See ya.